Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and before I bring my guest on this week, I want to kind of set the stage a little bit because the album that we're talking about today by Buster Rhymes, the album Extinction Level Event, The Final World Front, uh, it came out in 1998. And to set the stage, 1998 was getting into a really strange time. We were paranoid about what was going to happen in the year 2000, which was really the inspiration for at least part of this album. And everybody was, you know, getting ready, buying water and duct tape because that's how you survive. We thought that the, uh, you know, all the gas mains were going to go and all the prison doors were going to unlock because everything's controlled by computers. And because of this one little programming glitch, it was just going to turn everything off. That's how smart we were. And then it didn't happen. And so we waited for the next big thing, which was, I believe, the uh, the belief that the Mayan calendar had predicted the end of the world just because they ran out of calendar. And my thought was, maybe they just looked at each other one day and said, you know, I think we've got enough for a while. And then they disappeared. So we were just paranoid of everything. And now it's just, you know, whatever asteroid is going to crash into Earth and kill us next. But kind of putting this into perspective will give you an idea of where this album's coming from and why. I just recently discovered that in 19, I'm sorry, in the year 2020, a follow-up to this album came out called Extinction Level Event 2, The Wrath of God. I have not heard it, but I think I'm going to have to dig into it. But here to talk about the first Extinction Level event with me from the Deep Purple Podcast, Nathan Baudry. Nathan, how are you? I'm doing great, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, my friend. I, you know, I still have to laugh every time I think about it because <laughs> I sent you a list of albums that I wanted to cover. And I said, hey, if there's some that you want to do with me, let me know because I love having you on the show. And uh, and this was one that you sent back to me saying, yes, I want to do this one. Completely out of left field, would have never expected it. What is your story with this album? Well, yes, I was equally as surprised. I was looking through all your 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 picks and there were some that were a little, oh, that's a little interesting. And some that were you know, obvious, of course, he wants to talk about that one. And then this, I saw this one. I said, whoa, he, he wants to talk about that album. And um, uh, it kind of struck me because my history with this album is that I was, so I was living with a buddy of mine, Chris, and we were preparing to open a recording studio in Providence, Rhode Island. And this album came out while we were kind of living together in squalor, saving our money, trying to get all of our materials to, to build this recording studio. And I think it was like at, at night we would like, we were both working like, like I was working long hours and he was working. I forgot what he was even doing at the time. We'd come home at the end, like at late at night and there would be some stupid request show on MTV or something. And the, um, we would we we saw for the first time the video for give me some more and i don't know if you've ever seen the video for it i have yeah yeah and it's like a very like visually interesting video and crazy video very of its time and uh just loved the song thought the song was was super cool and so we would just kind of wait and i remember at the time we would there was like britney spears songs we were listening to and i'm trying to think of what else would have been around at that time but i just remember like britney spears and then we'd be like oh i think the the give me some more video is going to be next and we would watch it and get really into it so i can't remember if he released that as a single before the album um or what the history was but basically as soon as he knew the album it came out very late 1998 like december i think so i'd probably gotten it like early january or whatever when we were working on the studio um and it was just one of those things this was the time 
I mean, I would have gotten it on CD. And at the time, I'm trying to think what I was driving. It was I was probably dubbed it onto a cassette and was listening to it on a cassette or or maybe. No, nah, I don't think I was listening to the CD or maybe it was. Who knows? But I, I would listen to it on my drive to work. I would listen to it at work. I'd listen to it on my drive home. And there was a few albums at that time. You know how it was. You know, you there was no uh, streaming or anything like that. So I would just kind of had this like rotating cast of 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 uh, albums I would listen to at the time. And this was one of them. And I just listened to it a million times uh, (laughs) driving to and from work and at work and just kind of know it like the back of my hand. And it just was kind of always a weird fun album and I, I had a history with Buster Rhymes before and after that as well so um always been very interested in his stuff and uh yeah that's kind of my history how I got into it and uh, where it was coming from when I first discovered it anyway yeah it, it it is one that I think just kind of draws you in there's so many just the the vocal rhythms alone I think are very fascinating in, in this genre anyway but I think this album really encapsulates some stuff that just it just sucks me in right away uh, have you heard the follow-up album? No. In fact, I'm kind of new to, I had, uh, I had heard that it had come out. It came out, I think during the pandemic. So in the early days or maybe part way through or something. So it just kind of got lost in the shuffle and I heard, I was like, oh, and and usually I'm the kind of, when I hear of um, like sequel albums, I'm kind of like, eh. <laughs> to me, it, it always kind of delivers. It always makes a promise it can't deliver on. Uh, so I, I've never heard it, but um I've I'm familiar with I'm familiar with pretty much everything up into this and the album after this as well. And then um, I didn't I, I don't think I've heard much of his stuff beyond that. OK, I'm mainly familiar with this album uh, as I found most of my music was through my brother. He had uh, when he left Colorado and, and moved to Arizona, he I, I don't know exactly how he got into it, but he started going through a, a bit of a rap phase where we had been really closed off. We're like, oh, it's rap. I don't want to hear it. And mm-hmm. he started opening up to it. He shared some with me and Give Me Some More was one of those songs. Uh, he sent it to me and I thought, eh, I, I, don't, I, I couldn't really get into it at the time. And then when I came out to visit, we watched the video. I was like, you know, this song isn't that bad. And then we would, you know, when we were out in the car, he would play it in the car. And I'm like, all right, I really started liking the album. He ended up copying it onto a cassette for me for my trip home. And as soon as I got to the airport, I popped it in the car. I hadn't even left the airport yet. It was already playing in the car. And uh, I ended up just buying the CD on my way home. <laughs> you know, I hadn't even been home yet from vacation. And uh, but there were a couple like it was this song and that song and the last song, the burial song. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember we were driving at night looking for some place to eat because Phoenix kind of closes up like a matchbox car town, you know, just like it just folds up at about eight o'clock. So we were looking for some place to eat and th- we were playing the burial song. It was just all dark out. And I'm like, this could mm-hmm. not be a better setting to listen to this song. It's just haunting and creepy. and. Uh, yeah, I just, I immediately got into the album after that. Yeah. And it's it's interesting, um, album because it, it it follows on a long, long trail of like apocalyptic albums. Like he never never seemed to get past it. It's just like, until he comes out with like the album, uh, he got one, two, three, four, five, four albums in a row that are pretty much about the end of the world and then he has an album called genesis it's like hey he's, he's gotten over it and then he goes back to to you know more stuff about it and then extinction level event too i mean he's he's crazy i mean <laughs> i love like it, yeah. i love the guy i love i think he's talented uh but yeah he's 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 out there and uh but i've i've been a fan of him since his i i really started to get into 
uh, hip hop pretty heavy in like the early nineties mm-hmm. um, and late eighties, early nineties. Like, and I, I think what I really enjoyed about hip hop at that time was there was a lot of stuff that was coming out that was really positive and like kind of happy and fun. And then it kind of took a dark turn in the, the like earlier to mid nineties. And it was more like um, about being dark and evil and stuff like that. Not all of it, but, but, but I'd say the mainstream stuff. And that didn't interest me as much. I always really liked the, I liked the rhythms. I liked the production on a lot of the stuff, but I liked kind of the happier, more happy go lucky stuff. Not that this album is really that, but um, <laughs> I really liked De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest, like kind of fun loving stuff. And then from that, I got into Legions of the New School, which was Busta Rhymes' first group. Uh, and they only had two albums, but I love both of those albums uh, and listened to those a ton. So when he went off on his own, it's funny because in Legions of the New School, I w- would have probably pegged um, uh, Busta Rhymes to be the last one to go solo. But he went solo and was clearly far more successful as a solo artist by by a lot. Um, and he really, really made it big at that point. So. And then his acting career started. I can't remember if it was like Friday the 13th or it was a horror movie that I saw him in. Oh, really? Yeah, it might have been. I'll have to look. But yeah, I remember he was in a horror movie. It was it was a reboot or a sequel or something like that. And I'm like, oh, OK, so they're just it's one of those ones where they just kind of get whoever wants to do it instead of saying, OK, this is a movie we're going to cast. But I thought he was really good. But just, you know, interesting to see him in a different setting where he's not, you know, screaming about fucking and whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess we'll get into that, too. It's an extremely vulgar album. Indeed. Um, I, yes, this is going to be marked explicit I just by the song title alone. Uh, but let me ask yeah, you. Yeah, I was, I was thinking, like, <laughs> if you play those, like, 30-second clips of the song, I'm <laughs> like, you're going to hear so much. You're going to hear more profanity in one of those 30-second clips than you hear in, in the, the remainder of all your episodes put together. <laughs> I think you're right, yeah. Well, let me ask you, though, because this is a concept album, but it seems like it's only partly a concept album. There, like, there's a bunch of songs that really don't relate to the story. There's yeah. just, it, it's, But it's still considered a concept album. I I think that's like most concept albums, right? I think I think a lot of concept albums are deemed concept albums after the fact. Like mm-hmm. if you look at like like Sgt. Pepper, the ultimate concept album, it's not really a concept album. You've got the Sgt. Pepper song, obviously starts the concept, then it goes into into Little Help from My Friends, which is like okay, now we're at the show. Then it kind of just takes a left field, goes wherever it wants to go, and then you could make oh like oh um, benefit of Mr. Kite. I guess it's kind of related. To, I don't know. I don't know how that fits in and. You know, singing a song about their daughter leaving home. It doesn't like none of that really fits in. And then at the end, did they bring back the band? And like, oh, the concept. And, and now they <laughs> they because they stuffed everything else in between. Now it's somehow a concept album. So, um, and I think it's kind of the same with this. Like it starts off with that really heavy concept, the opening track with the you know the spoken word thing, and then the the everybody rise song concept. And then you know they touch on it through the rest of it. And it's just kind of that whole. I remember just that you know like you perfectly sum- summarized at the beginning that time is like oh 2000 the year is going to end in 2000 this is going to happen in 2000 and um nothing happened <laughs> right right yeah uh, not even for a second uh yeah i guess I, I i don't really think of it as a concept album just because of that i think of a concept album more like alice cooper goes to hell which just follows the journey of one person from beginning to end and everything that happens from the time he goes to hell to the time that he goes home uh, that to me is a concept album because it's it's a story or Operation Mindcrime by Queensryche because that really mm-hmm. follows oh, sure. the, the story. This is kind of like it, it's more of an inferred concept or like a concept junior album that has like, yeah, there's it's mostly intermission to the story. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the obvious, uh, you know, the cover of the album shows like New York. Uh, I think it's, is it the, it's the Brooklyn Bridge. It's it's showing, I mean, essentially just downtown New York bl- blowing up in a, and I, I guess it's also kind of remains. One thing that's kind of interesting about it is there's this motif of the world ending, but we don't know how it ends. Is it nuclear war? Is it asteroid? I, I know there's a lot of talk like at that time that this album came out, the movies that were out were like Armageddon, Deep Impact. Those two movies came out like almost back to back. It was a front of everybody's mind. And, um, uh, you know, you'd see these things, wild things happen in these movies, like buildings, like falling over sideways like this. And then fortunately, a few years later, we learn what it really looked like when a building like that collapsed and <laughs> nothing yeah. like you see in the movies um unfortunately um and that that imagery and that whole thing was really really popular and then you also had uh the other dueling movies was it um uh dante's peak and inferno right oh, the two yeah. volcano movies so mm-hmm. there was two volcano movies the two asteroid movies there were probably other things like that it was just a lot of you know those movies crop up every you have a resurgence every 10 or 20 years a bunch of movies like that come out and it's always funny to me like me and my buddy would uh, watch those movies and be like it's funny like all of a sudden asteroids start falling and they hit the golden gate bridge they hit mount rushmore <laughs> right. they hit all these landmarks start getting boom, hit hit with asteroids and the rest of the world seems relatively unscathed it's only the monuments and things that get hit oh yeah and san francisco uh bridge obviously is, a, is always oh. a target uh, Vegas is now a target because we had uh, a couple <laughs> yeah. of movies that have, have wrecked our city. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, the ones that get me are more like the sequels, like, say, Transformers, where you've got five or six movies where they just keep massively destroying the city. But yet in the next <laughs> movie, everything's kind of fine. They're not dealing with debris everywhere. and Yeah, the, the workers like, whew, we finally <laughs> get that building. Ah, those damn Transformers again. <laughs> Why did we rebuild this building? It's like everything's fine the, the, in a couple of days. And I'm like, wow, those Autobots are really cool cleaning all that up for you. <laughs> so let, before we get into the first song, let me ask you, you know, thinking about the concept in Y2K, what were, uh, you know, thinking about 1999, what were your thoughts on Y2K? Were, were you concerned? Was your family out buying duct tape and water? <laughs> um, I was not concerned. I didn't think it was going to be... I mean, from by you know, it, it kind of became a joke. I mean, it, I guess if you didn't live through it, you might uh, not really understand. Like, it's kind of like a joke now. Then it was, you know, it was a legitimate concern. Nothing happened, and then it was a joke. But then there's kind of this untold story about there were a lot of people working really hard behind the scenes to make sure worked out the way it did so when the planes didn't fall out of the sky and the bank accounts didn't delete all your information um nothing really happened i remember uh january 1st or 2nd going to some older websites at the time Mm -hmm. and to me the funniest thing about it was the only thing i (laughs) noticed from y2k things that didn't get you know quote patched were some websites where they'd have like a, a javascript that calculated the date at the top and it would say like january 2nd 1900 (laughs) <laughs> but it went from 1999 to 100 in the in the code. So I'm like, that was like the extent of the damage from what I saw. So you'd go to a site like, say, like the Highway Star. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know that that was one of them. But just to give you an example, at the top, it has like the date. And, you know, people, some of those sites just fell by the wayside. Some of them just got patched early. It's just, oh, just got to fix this little thing in the JavaScript and it's fine. Um, yeah, it, it definitely sounds like a GeoCities kind of uh, environment yeah. that would have something like that. And speaking of the Highway Star, you guys are coming up on three years of the Deep Purple podcast already. That has just flown by. Yes. Yeah. I don't think we talked about that yet. But yeah, my my show is uh, the Deep Purple podcast. And uh, if you're if you're listening to this because you're a fan of the Deep Purple podcast or Deep Purple, 
um, yeah, this is going to be a little different. So I, you know, <laughs> you probably already, you probably already aren't watching because you like Busta Rhymes. What is Nate doing? Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, almost three years. Yeah, it'll be three years very soon. So congratulations! It's uh, you know, I, I was just saying before the show, there's there hasn't been a single episode that I haven't enjoyed, and I've learned so much more about a band that I thought I knew everything about uh, just from you guys. Well, yeah, we've learned a lot too, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, and <laughs> made a lot of mistakes as well. And and we get corrected on all that stuff uh, within you know before it's even out of our mouths. It feels like there's somebody writing us going, "Nope." <laughs> you're wrong yep. uh and you guys uh you guys got to go down to florida recently where you met with a couple members of the band that had to just be surreal it was awesome yeah it was one of the you know one of the coolest things uh ever, ever had happened because it wasn't just uh it also wasn't like uh you know it wasn't a bad we didn't have backstage passes or they're not even doing anything like that so it was extra special because nobody got to go backstage um and we didn't go backstage we just we met up with a few of the uh we met up with ian pace the drummer and roger glover the bass player songwriter um uh because we were with somebody who's friendly with them and we we had a few people we knew that you know kind of introduced us and we got to have lunch with roger and hang out and have drinks with him after the show and it was really really cool um, and we met with Ian at the bar the night before and, and he bought us drinks, which was crazy. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And we just kind of talked with them and not much even about music, just, just talking to them about whatever they wanted to talk about, which was really cool. Yeah. I would imagine they get sick of talking about music after a while when, when you live it, and that's all you do. You know, there's, you, you want to yearn for something else. Let's talk about oh, steakhouses with Ian Pace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Steakhouses of all things. Yeah, we uh, we're we're hoping that uh, Uriah Heep will make it over in uh, early 2023 to the mm. states, and then we can finally meet up. Because I have not met, I, I've interviewed all of them, uh, yeah. and met them that way, but but I've not met any of them in person. So we're we're hoping for 2023 early to be a, a tour. They seem to tour with Judas Priest a lot, so that that might be a thing. Uh, Priest was yeah, just here awesome. in Vegas this weekend, so maybe the next time they come around, uh, it'll be opening for Heap. Awesome. Yeah, that'll be a that'll be a blast. Definitely. Well, I think we should dig into this album. We got 19 songs Oof. on this album, plus a, a yes. couple of uh, interesting comedy bits that I enjoy <laughs> uh, yeah. that, that are really out of place, <laughs> but mm-hmm. but they seem to work. So our uh, our oh, I wanted to mention also that in uh, 1999, this album was certified platinum. In 99, that soon after. Yeah. Yeah, I we- guess that's not surprising. I mean, it was it was a pretty big deal. It is, but I mean, thinking about, you know, obviously he was known, well known before this album came out, but for an album of of this type to have that kind of impact, I mean, I don't know how many rap albums go platinum, but this must have been huge in 99 to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, this had to be the peak for him, I would think, as far as chart uh, performance. Um, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I mean, I can't imagine. Well, let's, let's look right here um his last album is going to be everything's fine guys yeah oh that, never mind it all worked out okay <laughs> yeah right we're still here <laughs> um actually it looks like it looks like most of what he have well his first five albums were platinum and then he got a couple gold and then nothing much after that um but you know he did have a his album from 2006 hit number one in the u.s charts and that was that was his peak Yet it only got gold. So, but in in 1999, <laughs> did we have like a category for rap that would have tar- tar- uh, top charts or what? I don't know when all that this, started. This just says U.S. I know that the the rock charts started in like the mid 80s, um, 
but the it, this just says U.S. charts. So because if if they didn't know. have even a specific rap category at the time, that would be even more impressive because he's now competing with rock and pop and everything else that would be in that category. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not quite sure how that works, but yeah, I mean, this did well. Like I said, it was it, it was heavy rotation on MTV. It's probably the last time I really watched MTV was waiting for that video to come on. Well, a heavily um, edited version of it was on <laughs> was on MTV. That's that's the other thing. Oh, and the album that came after this would be Anarchy. So I was look I was excited about that and really looking forward to it. So I went when it came out the day it came out. I went to Walmart one of the last times i ever went to walmart just buster rhymes closed a lot of doors for me i guess um <laughs> and i went to walmart and i picked up a copy of it and i got it home to learn that every time he cursed it played this explosion noise <gasps> no which was just about the most annoying thing you could possibly imagine and with buster rhymes he curses sometimes multiple times a second um uh, you know there's so it was just boom, boom, boom. And I was just like to the point where I, I took it back to Walmart. They wouldn't take it back because I had opened it. And I was so mad because uh, I just was like, I don't I, I didn't realize that it was an edited version. And I was just so horrified by like, I was like, how could anyone listen to this? Why even bother releasing it like this? It was terrible. But usually they would do it this, in this era. It was the period where they would just blank out whenever they said something so sometimes you wouldn't even pick up on it it just it was a missing word here or there was so fast you could you could miss it it's almost like they didn't use the master tapes they just used the master mix and just yeah over the top uh that's really horrifying was looking back was there any sticker or anything on it that maybe you didn't notice i I think there was something on i probably still have the cd back there in storage rooms but honestly i wouldn't have thought to look for that i Exactly. And and I after that I knew I never made that mistake again, but it, it must have it said something like edited version or clean version or something, but why you know, it's just like don't yeah, don't you know, hey, listen, I get it. If you're not into this because it's too vulgar, I totally get it. I totally understand. Um but you know, just don't would you want to listen? Would you be like, yeah, I will the thing about Buster Rhymes is the swearing. I will listen to it if it's completely censored. No, you won't. Nobody who's doing that? Who's like, yeah, I'll listen to Buster Rhymes if you bleep out all the swear words. Nobody's going to do that. Yeah. If you just put explosions in every half a second, then I'll really be into this music. Like, no one is yeah, listening if you didn't to that. know, if you didn't know, it took me a second to figure it out. I'm like, why do they keep doing that? This is terrible. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I mean, just based on the good. album cover alone and the song titles, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if, if they were listed on the back, uh, which I'm sure were also <laughs> you can't even list edited. the song titles on the back of the album. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, who would look at that and go, I think this is, I've never heard of this guy, but I think this is for me. Buster yeah. rhymes like that alone is going to tell you it's probably hip hop or rap. You know, you're probably going to have some element of either violence or language or, or something. I can't imagine anybody just going, Oh, I want to check this out. I have no, uh, no idea who this is and thinking that that's a good idea. And then, yeah, yeah I want to know. You know, I, I really want to, you know, listen to something that's very wholesome. Maybe this album that has back-to-back songs called Hot Shit Making You Bounce and What the Fuck You Want. <laughs> this, this song, this album's probably fine. This is probably what I want. Yeah. They probably just put like a little expletive sign over over the, the words anyway that you couldn't tell what they were. But if you can't figure it out, you know, this album's What the blank you, you want. Ooh, he has a song, What the Heck You Want? Ver- oh, that's spicy, Buster Rhymes. Well, it, I, I imagine, though, there were places where you probably couldn't buy this album unless you were 18 or 21 because because the PMRC it was still in existence at that time, and they would have been all over 
anything. Oh that came yeah, out I'm of sure. Genre. I'm sure if you yeah, I'm sure if you were if you looked young or what I didn't get carded, but I'm sure they would have carded you trying to buy this album. Mm-hmm. It's so strange to think about that, isn't it? I mean, to be carded to buy a CD going into a store, but that was a real thing. I don't know if that is still now because I pretty much buy everything online, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they, I, it's one of those things that I think at a certain point people just give up and they say, oh, I don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, how are you going to, how are you going to enforce it? You know? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's the thing. Well, let's, uh, let's check out our first song. This is, uh, you know, this is a fun, loving title called There's Only One Year Left. <laughs> Daddy, what's it going to be like in the year 2000? Well, sweetheart, for your sake, I hope it'll be all peaches and cream. But I'm afraid the end time is near. The cataclysmic apocalypse referred to in the scriptures of every holy book known to mankind. It will be an era fraught with boundless greed and corruption, where global monetary systems disintegrate, leaving brother to kill brother for a grain of overcooked rice. The nations of the civilized world will collapse under the oppressive weight of parasitic political conspiracies which remove all hope and optimism from now before we started recording Nate, you were putting your kids to bed was this the kind of story that you told (laughs) them (laughs) it went a lot like this (laughs) the really interesting thing about this track and you don't hear it with the clip that you played um but the interesting thing about it is it's it's got an effect on it that's like sounds like a demon voice and throughout the course of him telling this story, the demon voice slowly rises in the mix and the regular voice slowly fades in the mix until they cross. And then at the end, you're left with just the demon voice or, and ending the story with his daughter. So it's like he, he morphs slowly into basically the devil while he's doing or a demon while he's doing this, which is I thought listening to that was, you know, kind of it's a skit to open the album, which is not a great start generally, but I thought it was an interesting, an interestingly well done. And it sets up the, the, the album pretty well, the, the theme of the album. Yeah. I, I thought it was a great effect that they put on there. I was really impressed with it, the, the, especially the first time I heard it because it really is a slow morph. Now, nowadays mm-hmm. with a plugin, you can set that up in about 10 seconds to, to actually yep. just slowly move from beginning to end. You set your start and end points and you're done. Uh, back then, you would have had to have sat there with the dial, slowly turning your effect. So that, mm-hmm. you know, I, that is alone well, they, is impressive. I'm sure they could have had some sort of like, uh, like um, they could have had an automated board. I'm sure they probably they did. They might have. Studio. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's very, it's like two and a half, three minutes or something of, of very, very slowly changing. And you can almost miss that it was even happening. It's so slow, you know, it just it slowly fades in. So. Yeah, and and the kid is so cute. They're just like, okay, <laughs> they just like take. She's it like, oh, it's something like, I can't hardly wait at the end, or something like <laughs> yeah. that. And then he's, and then he turns back into the regular voice and says, uh, like something like, well, you won't have to because it's already here or something. Right. Yeah, I like that he goes back into his regular voice to do the most ominous part of the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. It's it's kind of scary because it goes back to that like dry, regular narrator voice. And, you know, the, the way that they, they speak in this is kind of like almost if, if you think back, not quite to the days of like Leave It to Beaver, where they would speak with that, uh, that certain diction. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's not quite that far, but it's almost like that. It has that, you know, the family eats the, the dinner at the table all together and then they go and do their thing, like that wholesome <laughs> yeah. style. Yeah, you can picture him like in the cardigan with a pipe and like the slicked back hair, you know, it's just like very, very 50s, 50s dad. <laughs> yeah, he's home from his day at the office. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. 
So it gets it starts to get a little crazy here uh, because now it is on to the next song called Everybody Rise. So he's basically naming every city in the country <laughs> while he's going through this. But what there's a couple of things I really like about this. First of all, I love the sound of his voice, his speaking voice, his singing voice. It is absolutely incredible. Guy was born to do this. But I also love the fact that we're really basing this off of one piano note here, one piano note there, and he's creating a very simplistic melody. Mm-hmm. But everything just sounds huge. Yeah, it's... um the thing that i always my initial when i first heard this song was that he i didn't i didn't know that it, it was like the cover of the album that that was necessarily like a meteor strike or something i thought it was more like a mushroom cloud like this was a nuclear strike and my kind of feeling growing up you know as a as a kid uh during the the, the later days of the cold war and just having nuclear war always on your mind to me, I, I always envisioned like each one of these cities being like having a mushroom cloud, bang, like basically nu- nukes hitting each one of these cities. And when you hear that, bing, bong, bing, oh. bong, they're like, boom, boom. And he's got that cool little like, I don't even know what it is, effect. And it, 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 each one sounded like a strike, like of a missile or something. And that's what I envisioned in my mind when I first heard this. It's like, oh, crap. Like he's talking about the end of the world leading up to the song. This is the first the first song starts with each city in the country being nuked or wiped out or whatever it is and then i was like wow that's a you know like we got there real quick i wonder what the rest of the album's going to be like if that's the concept <laughs> right no that's that's really interesting i hadn't considered that before but that does make a lot of sense and that would explain why he's naming like almost like he's a newscaster saying here's all the cities that just got exploded yeah interesting yeah yeah i hadn't thought of that you know i have to wonder since he's into you know doing these albums about these you know devastating events that are about to happen i have to wonder if he doesn't have a bomb shelter that he owns somewhere (laughs) i bet he does i bet he's got seeds in there and like (laughs) mres and he's just ready to go the buster rhymes bomb shelter right and and a kick-ass dj system for sure exactly he's got iodine tablets everything he needs down there and yeah he's he's crazy until he actually needs it and then he's everybody's best friend exactly you know i have to say i love how it just kicks right into something really powerful you know you're going from this intro where there's a little bit of a joke at the end and then this just kicks in like it just punches you right in the chest coming out of nowhere Mm -hmm. yeah oh totally yeah and i'm looking it up it looks like the it samples um if tomorrow never comes by the controllers is sampled Ah. for the song so um yeah it's interesting to see where some of these things are coming from but yeah it's a you know and then it goes into kind of a a lot of this stuff and a lot of bust around stuff is all very kind of stream of consciousness uh but he's talking about you know he's talking about a, a song about a lot of violence and um uh a song about you know dropping bombs and uh you know, it's like all of, you know, it's just, it sounds like just complete chaos in the song is what he's outlining. 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, what was I going to say? You know, it's it's interesting. I'm sure there's a lot of samples that I didn't know they were samples or didn't know where they where they came from. But sure. that is very common in this style of music. In fact, there's one song that that we'll get to towards the end that they just completely use an entire song from, yeah, from another it's not band. Even sampled. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 that's not even subtle. You know, it's but, it's almost a cover, basically. Yeah, exactly. A parody. <laughs> it's a parody song. It really is. It's very well done, though. I, I actually really enjoy it. But uh, I I do tend to forget how much of that, like Eminem used using Dido for a couple of his songs um, mm, to, to yeah. really use them as the crux of the song and then just build around that. I, I yeah. think it's really interesting, the talent in in rap and hip hop when they do things like that, like to, to build Stan around this gentle song by Dido that really sounds nothing like the actual song because the verses aren't there or, or yeah. the chorus isn't there. Um, it, it really fascinates me when they do that. Yeah, because I mean, like most people, I had heard that Dido song from the Eminem song the first time I heard it. And then, yeah, of course I got, that was like in the early days of Napster. So I was like, Oh, let's see what this Dido is all about. And then you're like, Oh, that's a quite a, quite a different feel to the song. Right. Yeah, exactly. So our next tune here is called, uh, let's see, where are we here? Uh, where we are about to take it. I sound so white when I say that, don't I, where we are about to take it. <laughs> the, the famous rap song where we are about to, ta- well, you know, it's, you know, usually it would, it would, you know, not be really spelled out that way, but we do have to come to grips with the fact that we are two extremely white guys talking about a, you know, legendary hip hop artist. So there's going to be, you know, you're gonna have to take every, everything we're saying with a grain of salt. We're not exactly uh, qualified to speak about some of the subject matter on here, but that's true. I mean, I may have grown up in Detroit, but it was more of like the suburban part of Detroit more so than like (laughs) the hood. We were about a half hour outside of Detroit. We still had some violence in our neighborhood. There were gangs and stuff, but um, we had bomb threats at our schools, but I, I didn't live the kind of life that these guys talk about living by any means. So I'm no, really no. just here to talk about the music and how it makes me feel and, and that sort of thing. Yep. Here to pop a cap. <laughs> Across the world, yeah, bust the rhyme, hot shit, more and more and more and more. Motherfucker flip mode, nigga. More advanced technology for y'all niggas. Check it out, y'all. Follow instructions. Hop, skip, jump, making you flip. Dislocate your hip bone, vertebrae slip. Shut your lip and talk shit, lost your grip. On the realest thing in life, nigga, pass the clip. If you were to make a drinking game out of every time that Buster rhymes issues a cuss word you would be out before the first <laughs> half of the first song was over <laughs> oh yeah you'd be you'd be dead i mean there's just no way unless you're drinking microscopic amounts right like simple um, shots yeah <laughs> exactly i would um, it overall on this album what do you think of the mix i mean i i, I like it i think uh i don't know i'm, I'm I, I i i never i haven't really thought too much about the production on this album i think it's pretty uh, you have some issues with it i mean it's it seems to be pretty limited or like a pretty uh, brick wall mastered yeah but not it probably not even close to what we see nowadays <laughs> but uh, it was getting there it's it's definitely coming up on my screen as if it was very close to brick wall but the thing is is that it's not so full of instruments that they're all crowded together it actually sounds yeah. really good despite pushing that leveling limit uh, I like the fact that not everything is crystal clear. Like some of the the instruments and sounds are EQ'd to be a little bit muddy. 
mm-hmm. think that adds a really good balance to things too. But just overall production, I mean, obviously, you know, he had somebody really good to work with on this, but I think it sounds fantastic. The whole album from beginning to end. I, I don't think there's anything I would change except maybe a slight level here or there. Yeah, it's got good levels. I mean, obviously, when it, when you're dealing with with hip and I, I can speak from experience of this because the studio that we went to open we we produced uh, quite a few hip-hop uh albums and artists at that studio so mm-hmm. um you do a little exposure and experience with that is it's a very different style you're you're recording things usually much much more dry much more heavily compressed mm-hmm. and you have to you have to put them in in the mix that you have to hear what they're saying there's it everything is so quick and so rhythmic and um and oftentimes it's hard to make out what they're saying because they're rapping so quickly that you have to you have to mix it in a way um do side chain compression on on something if there's something interfering with the vocals whatever it is you have to get those vocals first into the front because that's the most important part of of this of this style of music mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. And when, when we uh, when we get to give me some more, the, the words to parts of that are very, very fast. In fact, there's one part in the second verse. Even reading the lyrics, I was like, I still don't think that's what he's saying. <laughs> you know, and, and over the years, I've actually come to grips with, yes, I, I now I can dissect it and understand every word of it. But at the time, it, this was all so new to me, and I didn't have that, that ability to really understand the, the words at that speed. Uh, I was like, there's just, no, he's not saying that. And now I'm like, yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah. And rhythmically, this song is super interesting to me because he's like falling behind the beat sometimes. And with Buster Rhymes, it, that's never an accident. He's he's very gifted rhythmically. And, you know, people might roll their eyes or say, oh, you know, there, there's a lot of people that poo-poo this style of music because, oh, it takes no talent, which I think is a bunch of bullshit because it's, you have the amount of lyrics you have to write alone whether you think they're garbage or not whatever your intention the amount of word lyrics you have to write and then how you deliver it to say that oh it's just people talking over music is i mean don't talk to me if that's your philosophy because it's just you 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 don't get it and that's fine don't listen to this music but don't spout off about how it doesn't take any talent or any of that i don't want to hear it it's it is very it's not for everybody but it's very complicated. And the, the rhythmically what he's doing, if you wrote this out in notation, it's like he's got the, his vocals have like the swing of like a, a of a drummer, of, a, of like a jazz drummer. Like, and especially at the end of the song, like he's like, now in every way, I hope you know what we're about to take it. And he starts kind of slowing it down. He says that over and over and over again. And he starts slowing it down and rhythmically changing it over time. I mean, it's really interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I can say, especially as a drummer, I have great appreciation for the rhythm of the lyrics on, on this album. And there's a lot of stuff I've heard, though, in, in you know rap and hip hop where I'm like, I may not like this song, but I could really appreciate how it was put together. I can appreciate that lyrical rhythm, uh, how it changes from either every other line or sometimes, you know, different verses. And they're, they're just constantly reinventing it during a song. And I'm like, I don't know how they come up with this stuff. I don't know how they're like, okay, I'm going to write these words and then I'm going to put them into a rhythm. Or do they come up with the rhythm? And they're like, I got to find words to make this rhythm match, but also keep the story of the song going. I, I'm sure it's different for everybody and for every song, but that really fascinates me because there is so much. And I agree. Anybody that says that this is talentless work, I, I think this is some of the most talented uh, music that's created because of what it takes to make it work. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And this, 
interestingly, this this one samples Dick Hyman, topless dancers of Corfu from Moog, the electric uh, electric eclectics of Dick Hyman from 1969. So wow. should make a playlist of all the different <laughs> songs that are sampled on this. And you can hear those. It's really interesting listening to those original songs. Like, if, have you ever heard the original song for um, uh, My Name Is by Eminem? It's like, I have not. You, it's a really good song. You listen to it. And then there's this one point where it goes boom. Ba-doom, boom, ba-doom, boom. Like it's just this little snippet, like in the middle of the song, and you're just like it. You, you people that don't like sampling or whatever, but it takes a it takes a real good ear to hear something and say that's it. I'm gonna loop this little snippet that most people wouldn't give a second thought to, and make it become one of the most famous little passages of music ever. Yes, after after being around for thirty plus years, it's it's crazy. Absolutely. And and it takes like I think about um what was the song that um that David Coverdale redid from Bobby Bland? Um was it Oh in the Heart of the City? Yes. Yes, Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City. Ain't no love, yeah. I'll tell you, I heard Bobby Bland's version of it last year for the first time, and I thought, I don't know how David Coverdale listened to that. And came up with his version because it is so drastically different. There is no emotion to me in Bobby Bland's version, whereas David Coverdale's version, it is just like pouring out of his heart when he's singing it. And I think, how could you have heard that and said, I'm just going to make it this way and turn it into this amazing thing that he did? Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it, yeah it takes a different, uh, a different mindset to hear those little... Those little um whatever it is, those, those little gl- glimmers in a song that you're going to, you're going to, you're going to hook onto and, and, and use it as the hook for your song. It's, it's interesting. Exactly. Uh, and b- before we, we play the next song here, I'm just going to drop a hint to you one, one time, Nate, when John was on the show, when we reviewed the uh, Kiss album, uh, I had mentioned to him that I'm very much looking forward to Coverdale tweets too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is a uh, an episode that, yeah. that uh, that they did on the Deep Purple podcast. David Coverdale's tweets are some of the most entertaining of all of Twitter as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. And uh if you're not following him, go follow uh White Snake or at David Coverdale. Uh highly enjoyable and multiple times a day. I, I kind of think he doesn't really do anything else now. No, yeah, he just, he does he tweets a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he really does. So our uh, our next song is called uh, Extinction Level Event, the song. Yeah, yeah, here we go, y'all. Here we, here we, here we go, y'all. Must have been flip mode, y'all. Yeah, yeah, y'all. Extinction level event shit. Bomb threat to the whole world. What, what, what is going on? What the fuck going on here? Check it out, y'all. Totally amazing grace about face Total erase you niggas off the face of the place It's such a shame I had to go grab my camera Go past the door for you find out when I had to blast your phone Probably the best use of a harpsichord since Mozart's time <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that, that this is the, the title track of, of the album That's about this horrible event And we're all gonna die and everything And it's just such a happy little song I and mean, it's got such a great bass line to it. And I'm not sure, you know, it's, it's very hard in these songs to tell where the, where the samples are and where the, especially since generally it's kind of regarded as being, uh, you get a lot of cred for using samples that people can't figure out where they're from. Right. You, uh, some, some people use common stuff, but the, the really, the people that dig really deep 
um, find things that are, this one is Terry Baxter and his orchestra early in the morning from uh, 1971. So uh, I, I'm not afraid to say I'm I'm not familiar with that, <laughs> but but I don't know if it's the harpsichord part. But there's also that it must be because that bass is way way too like subsonic to have been around and you know because it's it's a really cool bass line that they throw in the bottom of that which i assume is is something that they wrote in the studio it could be or they could have just sampled it and detuned it a couple of octaves too to to really bring mm. it down it's so hard to tell That's because true. i mean you could really do anything and and make it sound good but i have to say that that harpsichord just cuts through so well yeah. it's not loud it's just got a certain pitch that really cuts through what they're doing. But I feel like everything that I've played, like the first 30 seconds of every song just sets up the rest of the song. That It's not, it's not even the yeah. actual song yet. You know, they're just warming up to everything. And there's multiple different producers. This one is produced by Knots. I don't know anything about. Um, and uh, uh, Dominic J. Lamb, I guess, is the real name. Um so yeah, th- there's he d- he did that song and he did this uh, the song right before this. So the, these past actually the past three songs he did, and then there's no more from him on the rest of the album. And it kind of bounces around between different producers, and that's always kind of interesting about hip hop too. Is you've got uh, if you look at this, it's recorded in one, two, four different recording studios with I don't even know how many producers, maybe eight, ten different producers throughout the album, which is interesting. Like sometimes it's not as coherent as it is on this album, but in this album, you don't really get the sense that it's disjointed. It sounds like it all works together. Right. Uh, yeah. That's, that's what I was thinking because the songs don't really seem to sound too differently sonically. I mean, obviously the writing is different from each one, but it's, it's fascinating that you wouldn't just have one producer to do an album and keep it consistent. And, you know, I could see recording maybe different people in a couple of different studios. Like, you know, I'm going to record the, the mm. instruments here. I've got a vocalist that's in L.A. I've got a vocalist that's in, you know, Chicago. And so I've got to record them at a different studio, like that kind of thing. Um, but the album sounds really cohesive overall. And maybe that has to do with the mixing and mastering process, too, is if it's all being mixed by the same person, maybe you can kind of do some things that are going to make it sound more coherent. But um, it, yeah, we're, either way, it works really well. Yeah, very true. The other thing I've noticed, and, and it's odd because normally uh, with most albums, this would really bother me, but there is a lot of repetition in both mm-hmm. the music and like backing vocals, like the la la's and this just pretty much go all the way through the song that harpsichord pretty much plays the whole time. And there's so much repetition on the album, but yet it doesn't bother me even once. There isn't a single song that I feel mm-hmm. like, you know what, this this could have been cut or cut down or something like that. I, I really just am able to take the entire journey. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just, it, yeah, it's an interesting, this song in particular is, um, you know, extinction level event, the song of salvation. So it's, you know, it's, you know, that la 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 thing is kind of, lighthearted and it's talking about you know talking about millions of deaths and uh the impact of the extinction level of it's almost like he's in this song uh he's saying sing the song of salvation like you know like he's almost like praying for the souls of everyone that died in this event it's just who knows what's going through this guy's mind but right it's uh it's it's it i think that's kind of a cool thing about it is it, it it leaves a lot 
you, when you talk like Operation Mindcrime, for example, that's it's something it doesn't really leave the listener a lot of room to interpret. It's just like this is what's happening, tells you the story. So you've got that kind of concept album, which is a true concept album. It's like a rock opera, basically. And then you've got something like this, which is like maybe a concept album, but you're allowed to kind of infer what you want from what's happening. It could be any one of a million stories that's being told. And I also love the contrast of it. You know, I'm going to I'm going to tell you some horrible things, but I'm going to put it in this happy go lucky setting and it just sounds like we're we're getting ready to have a nice little picnic in the field by a river and uh but I'm just yep. going to tell you a bunch of bad shit. As, as <laughs> really go. bad stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so let's see where does that bring us to? That oh, tear the roof off. Tear the roof off. Yeah. All right now. After the ultimate world blast that ended all things, this is how we rebuilt shit from the underground up. Bounce, nigga, bounce, 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 nigga, bounce, bounce. When I come through, hit y'all with the one, two. Freak y'all niggas out, y'all niggas won't even know what to do. Break full, make all of y'all people wanna come to. Feel the force for my shit kicking like it was kung fu. That, that balance of rhythm between the vocals and the pizzicato is just, it's stunning. Yeah, and this is another example of him coming in a little be- like ahead of the beat in a really like in a really and that's like it's it's like I don't know I've real real ever really thought about this, but he's like he's like a drummer. He's he, coming in behind the beat and 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 delivering things. He's not he does he's not like locked in like even though obviously this is probably all done on a grid and everything's you know te- perfect tempo, but his vocals are not. His vocals give it that swing and give it a little bit something different. Um, you know. And that last line right before he cut it off was, you know, uh, shit kicking like it was Kung Fu. (laughs) He's he's always, it's just got funny things that he's, he's always been very funny in a, in a really weird way. Um, That's one of the things I really like about, yeah, you know, his, uh, his leaders of the new, new school stuff too, is it's really, uh, um, there's a lot of humor in it. And even though he's talking about millions of deaths in the end of the world, he still manages to get some funny lines in there. Yeah, I, I really love the colors that he uses in, in his lyrics. You know, they, they really make it uh, so much more interesting to listen to than just delivering something directly. And I mean, it's it's very common in rap and hip hop that they just kind of go into all these different directions lyrically. But with him, it's like he just pulls something out of absolutely nowhere on almost every line and puts it in and just go, <laughs> yes. what the hell is he talking about? I'm still enjoying it, <laughs> but what the hell is he talking about? Yeah, I mean, it's it's like listening to any... Um, any good player of, of music, listening to somebody who's a, a really proficient guitar player or a, um, a great pianist or whatever it is, they tend to sometimes they'll work in some humor in what they're doing too. They'll play this really complicated thing. They'll throw in something like to get a little laugh, throw in something a little lighthearted, quote a phrase from you know like that's always funny to me too people like oh rap is just stealing other people's music like as if rock musicians haven't been doing that forever (laughs) Uh, you know stealing uh, you know riffs or stealing melody lines and throwing those things into their solos those things into their their compositions i mean that it's that's all music is is there's you can call it theft i mean basically you call it theft if you don't like it and you call it inspiration if you do or homage if you do and um it's obviously and 
I think that I guess maybe the more honest part about it in, in a lot of hip hop is they're not claiming that, <laughs> that they're not sampling things for the, they're like, yeah, I'm sampling this. What do you, I'm, I'm not denying it, uh, but, but completely making it something your own. Yeah. It's not like kingdom come saying what we never heard of Led Zeppelin, <laughs> even, even though we sound exactly like them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I'll, I'll give you a couple of, of examples from, from your podcast world. So it would not be uncommon for Richie Blackmore to play, the sailor theme or uh, mm-hmm. jingle bells right before yep. they end, like ring that neck or something. He used to do stuff like that all the time. And it was fun because it just, it's out of nowhere. And you're like, what did he just play the sailor theme? <laughs> yeah. And he does that little thing where he, he, uh, he's doing this crazy guitar solo and he just flips everything off, flips off his distortion. Does that do, and you know, he gets a laugh out of the audience because it's, it's unexpected. It's funny. It lightens the mood and you're kind of hearing similar things here. Yeah, Austin which, Rhymes and Richie Blackmore. I mean, they're practically brothers. It's, it's peanut butter and jelly. You know, they, they both live on Long together. Island. So <laughs> oh, that's true. It, it, well, I mean, it, it, Ian Pace played on, uh, on, a uh, who was it? On the DMX track. On the DMX right? track. Yeah. Uh, I almost yeah. actually got to work with DMX on a movie project, but unfortunately really? it had to be canceled because he had gone back to jail. And oh, so uh, that just ended that project. But that would have been cool because we were set to do the soundtrack together. I don't oh. know how that would have worked. <laughs> it pretty much would have been him telling me what we were doing, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, I'd have been okay with that. That would have been great. You would have been in the extended Deep Purple family, too, because you would have uh, uh, played with somebody who played with Ian Pace. Well, actually, I am in the extended Deep Purple family. Oh, that's true. You are. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Uh, Don Airy played uh, with my band, Era Patches. He not when not after I joined the band, but uh, I think the album before he did a, a single song where he played with them. And uh, to extend that a little further, my keyboard player is none other than the keyboard player from the Long Live Rock and Roll album. So yeah, I got yeah, I got a couple of multiple links. connections. Yeah, I only have one very tenuous one. My um my guitar player, uh, from a little a bunch of bands, a, re- a really close friend of mine. We grew up together. We were you know when we were teenagers, and um he 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 taught me a lot. Most you know mostly almost everything I know on guitar and bass and all that. Uh, but he was in a band with Bobby Caldwell. Oh wow. Yeah, so that's my that's my connection. It's very tenuous. I wasn't. I don't think he was in a band with them for very long, but um, enough that I'm going to claim it. There you go. Uh, it, interestingly, <laughs> I, I keep seeing videos pop up from the searchers on Facebook. You know, there's those groups that post oh, yeah. videos from like the 70s and 80s and stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, the searchers was the band that John Lord was opening for. I think when he was with the Flower Pot Men before he joined Deep Purple. Yeah, and I know Richie mentions them in a few interviews. I can't remember why, but I remember him talking about the searchers. Mm-hmm. Very, very random stuff, but I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take anything. So our next song that we're up to is called Against All Odds. That doesn't sound like it could be, you know, related at all. <laughs> Well, clearly that's not Busta Rhymes singing that. That is not. It sounds like a much younger or thinner person. 
Yeah, and I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, Buster Rhymes would have been pretty thin at this point. Yeah. Um, but he's uh, still but, got that voice like he's 300 pounds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, his voice seems like it suits him a little bit more now, but he was skinny as all get up and in, in leaders of the new school. He was I mean, he was like a, a little stick. Um, and, you know, not only he's he not only big now, he's not just big. He's like muscular. He's jacked. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is, so this is flip mode squad. So it's kind of funny cause you, you hear all like flip mode just thrown in a lot of this. And this, this album is almost like a, an ad, like there's ads in it for the flip mode <laughs> album, which I think had just come out like right before this, um, their first album had come out. So, so flip mode is, uh, you know, a, a bunch of different people. It had kind of a rotating cast of characters, but at this point it would have been uh Buster Rhymes, Spliff Star, DJ Scratch, Rampage, Lord Have Mercy, Rod Digga, uh, maybe somebody else I'm forgetting. Um, so all of these different folks in this in this group. Um and I have their album. It's it's not bad. Um it's just pretty good. Uh, that that album anyway i don't think i've got any of the other ones because i really like raw digga i think she's really good i think she's probably the standout on this song for me and he um, sings to spliff in uh in a song a bit later that we'll get yes to. Yep. Uh, yep i really like this song at first you know when i'm listening to it i think okay so you pulled up a laser patch on your keyboard and then you just <laughs> yeah, let your cat walk exactly. across the keyboard and wherever <laughs> the laser beams are they are right it, there's no rhyme or reason to them but in, no. in thinking of like a, a war situation in chaos, it would be like that. So, you know, that yeah, yeah. certainly makes sense. But thinking of it musically, I'm like, this is really hurting my brain <laughs> for about 30 seconds. Um, but I love the the other part that we're hearing, that horn. I love the beat of this song. There is definitely a good power without there being like a heavy, fast drive. And I really like that. Yeah. And to me, this, this, this song... Um when the first time I heard it, it just kind of reminded me of like those scenes in um, Terminator where you see what was happening with the war with the robots and you see just like the red landscape. It almost looks like the surface of Mars and there's robots shooting. And that, that's always kind of what I envisioned when I heard the song. It was like, okay, maybe the, the, the dust has settled from whatever war, whatever is going on. And now you're, you're seeing the, um, the after effects you're seeing like whatever is going on with aliens or robots or whatever shooting at them. Um, so I'm not finding anything for what the samples are for this song, but it's a very, uh, the doom, 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 doom. It's, it's got this really, um, dark, the kind of scary mm-hmm. sound to it. Yeah. And, and with the vocals being so aggressive on top of that particular sound, it really is kind of an ominous, like we're coming to get you is the feel I get from it, even though that's not really what they're talking about because they're not doing anything. It just has that, that feeling of you better watch your back. There's something about that. Uh, Just a quick sidebar. Since you mentioned Terminator, I don't know where this came from, but I've had this dream that I really want Arnold Schwarzenegger to do a remake of Britney Spears song. Oops, I did it again. And I want him to do a video where as he's saying, oops, I did it again. Like he reaches into some guy's chest and pulls his heart out. And then the next line is, I played with your heart. And I just want him to have it in his hand and just be tapping on it with his finger. Like, I don't know why I, I want this to happen, but I'm I'm voting for it. I mean, it's it's it sounds like it could have fit in one of those. You just have to let off a little steam. You know, one of those those zingers they deliver after they kill somebody in a horrible way. Oh, 90s um, action films were the best. Absolutely. Um, 
yeah, like I, I to me, I, I, I thought Raw Digga was the standout on this. I thought she was great. It reminded me a lot like of Lauren Hill, who for my money oh, is probably yeah. the best, one of the best rappers out there. Um, not only, uh, you know, kind of a double threat because not only is she a an incredibly good rapper, but she's an even better singer. So it's like, um, just unbelievable what she can do, and, and a really good songwriter. Like her, her solo album is just absolutely jaw-dropping to me it's so good um except kind of suffers from being released at this time and having a lot of long very bad skits on it <laughs> uh, well there's that and, yeah yeah that the, 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 was the era if you in the mid to late 90s you're gonna have too many skits um and maybe this is a good time to break and talk about the skits on yes, this cause, album because we're actually about to get to one right here and i think it's almost like a Rocky montage. You know, if you're watching a Rocky movie, there's going to be at least three workout montages or I'm dealing with pain <laughs> montages, you know, and you just got to get through them. You got to, you got to power. <laughs> Although those, those are a little more fun to watch in my opinion. They, they are. Yes. I, I will say I was glad that in the Creed movies, I don't recall them. Well, I've, no, I think there was a montage in one of the Creed movies. You got to have the montage. If, if it's Sylvester Stallone and he's boxing, you're going to have a montage. Uh, I think I think these are fun, like the first one or two times you hear them. And then after that, you're just like next. So I'm glad that where he placed them in the song was in it in the song. They're in the last section of the file. So it's not mm-hmm. like you start the song with the comedy bit, except for the opening of the album. Uh, it's like, OK, if you want to hear it, you could keep playing that track. If not, you just hit next. Yeah, which is perfect. And um I want to say on the, I think they did the same thing on the Lauren Hill album, which was, but for my, for my money, even the Lauren, the Lauren Hill skits are, are so bad. Not only are they bad, but they're poorly recorded. So it's very hard. I don't know if you're as familiar with it, no. um, but it's, it's basically, they all take place in a classroom and it's like, it sounds like it's one microphone in the classroom. And there's like these things like, you know, it's kind of the first time you listen to it, the, the teacher's like, hey, t- tell me what you think love is or whatever. And then the kids all give their answers and the other kids giggle at their answers. And it's it's very realistic. I'm sure it was exactly that. I'm sure it was a teacher talking to a bunch of kids, getting their real reactions. And it for and from that standpoint, it's interesting. Um, I just don't want to hear it every damn time I listen to the album. And uh, it's hard to make out what they're saying. In, re- in relative to the music you've just been listening to, which is beautifully produced. And then you've got this like really shabby, maybe they're holding up a, you know, a digital recorder and recording this. So it just didn't really work. But as far as this album goes, the skits are recorded better, but skits have to be damn good to be okay. Like multiple times. And the problem is they're, they're, they're too long. They're too long and there's too many of them. And it seem and they're very dated. Like the, the humor in them is very dated and of the time. And I think they've realized this in subsequent versions. I don't think they include the skits on the album. Um, I know when I listen to it on Spotify, they're not on there at all. And, and I don't, I can't say I miss them. I'm, I'm very familiar with the skits because having had this on cassette, I had to sit through them many, oh, many times. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I couldn't skip through them. So I'm like, yeah, like I know these skits very well and I'm not sad that they're gone. Usually I don't like when they tamper with an album and mess it around, but I don't mind that at all. That's really interesting, though. And I, I wonder if that, well, if they just specifically took out the comedy bits and everything else was there. Uh, is the opening song is there, though, isn't it? Yeah, the opening and the closing. Well, the closing song is not really a skit, but yeah, the opening is still there because that's just kind of part of, part of the album. Uh, but yeah, all those those interstitial skits, like the one about, um, you know, the like the parents find the records and they're like, 
Oh, what are you doing? You're going to smoke dope. You know, the dad's like, what are you <laughs> yeah. going to do next? Eat crack. Or maybe it's the mom that says that. I can't remember. The dad's got this really like, he's like, I'm tired of you kids with all this bullshit. You know, like he's, yeah. He's again, the total fifties like, style uh, parents yeah. child uh, conference there. Uh, Which is funny. Like the first time it's funny. Like, and then yeah. you, yeah. And then it's just, it wears thin. Well, I mean, how many times do you listen to a comedy album over and over versus a music album over and over? I mean, you've like, I really just want to hear some George Carlin. That's when you listen to a comedy album. You don't just put that in your rotation like you would music. Yeah, you know, kind of like, you know, when I used to watch SNL religiously when I was a kid, I would always skip through the musical acts because I was like, I'm not here to listen to music. I want to watch the funny skits. It's kind of the same thing. I love comedy and I love music. I don't necessarily need them like interspersed with each other. It's just. Now, as one other side note, the closest that I come to really the world of rap, because in, I, I recorded with one rap artist. Uh, and I wrote the music for him and he says, I can put lyrics to anything. So I, I wrote a song and he put lyrics to it, recorded it, never paid me for it. And so I ended up just rewriting <laughs> the lyrics to the song and doing it myself. Uh, but I, the, fir- the only time I've ever seen Jabberwockies, which is like a hip hop dance group that performs over at the MGM Grand, very impressive. I uh, really enjoyed the show. Uh, Peppa from Salt and Peppa was there that oh, night. Nice. Salt and Peppa. That's, that's as close as I get to, to, to any of this. <laughs> you know mostly it's rock and roll or jazz fusion or something like that but this album uh, i just and, and so i really like some eminem stuff some of mystical stuff um there are a couple others that that i thought were pretty good i just i never really got into this world of music i i, I have a great appreciation for it now but it's very rare that i really am like i really want to hear some rap or i really just got to hear some hip-hop today I mean, yeah, it might surprise a lot of people if there's anyone listening from the Deep Purple podcast, but there was a time when this is pretty much all I listened to mm-hmm. and I didn't listen to very much rock. And I think there was, it was probably around this time. And, you know, up until, I mean, for a long time, I think that th- there was an era where the, the the rap music that was coming out was more interesting to me than the rock music that was coming out of that time. Like I still would listen to, you know, stuff that had come out before and, and, and all that, but it wasn't. Um, you know, everyone has really eclectic tastes. It's not like everyone thinks that they're like, oh, I'm, I'm so unusual because I like all different things. It's like, <laughs> no, you know, everybody is like that. Um, and I, and I, like, I, like I said, I really, to me, like the era of hip hop in the, uh, late eighties, mid to late eighties, early nineties that was coming out of the New York, like more East coast stuff. I was really, really into. And from a production standpoint, I got to say when, when Dr. Dre's, uh, uh, Dr. Dre has always to me been just like heads and shoulders above the rest. As far as production, it's incredible mm-hmm. how ahead of the times his production sounds and how smooth and just incredible it is. Um, but he only releases one song every 20 years or one album every 20 years. So right. there's not a lot of material there, but, uh, but it's always just, he's one of the greatest that there there's ever been in, in, in this world. But I, like I said, De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, fun, uplifting, uh, very, uh, that, that stuff always really, really appealed to me. And those early, those early albums from those groups were always really interesting. Definitely. Well, let's take a, a little bit of a listen to one of these comedy bits we were talking about. Okay. Nate, I can just signal you when it's over <laughs> if you want to plug your <laughs> it helps. I'm taking my headphones off. <laughs> there you go. I thought 
I told you a thousand times, stop listening to that shit. Oh, come on, Mom, that's Busta Rhymes. Don't talk back to your mother. Gang members are the only ones that listen to that crap. What are you talking about? Everybody listens to him. His shit is dope. Wait a minute, did you say dope? Hang on a second. I knew it. It says right here, dope is slang for marijuana. What are you going to do next? Eat crack? Eat crack? <laughs> Mom, you don't even know what that means. <laughs> you kids today with all this bullshit. You're going to give me a heart attack. Do your homework, goddammit. Aw, oh, Mom, where you been? I graduated two years ago. I'm going to give you a rap in the mouth. If- <laughs> Here I am cracking up at the, at the now. I love I love how out of nowhere is like, you know, I'm gonna give you a rap in the mouth. <laughs> he just comes up with this zinger. I like how he looks through the dictionary for the word dope. You can hear him right. flipping through the pages. It's good. It's it's well done. It's just um you don't want to hear it every time. Yeah. Uh, my my favorite part is, is just how it starts. She's complaining. He's like, but mom, this is Buster Rhymes. What does he expect her reaction is gonna be like? Oh, well, okay then. Like I know who that is. <laughs> Yeah, when I was that age, my mom was calling him Snoopy Dog. <laughs> I, I almost, oh, when I was dog. listening to it this time, I don't know why it hadn't dawned on me. That almost sounds like Joan Rivers doing an exaggerated yeah. Joan Rivers voice. It does. It, it really does. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's funny. It's just kind of, and I think it's something to appeal to kids too. They're just like, oh yeah, my parents don't get it. Um, You know, they don't understand bus rhymes. And then he goes on to describe what's going to be probably the most vulgar 30 second clip you're going to play which is the beginning of the song the next song uh but he he describes in great detail what the song is about he's like hey mom and dad buster rhymes is great let me play you the song and he tells him about what it's about in, in really graphic detail yeah um he thinks and he's then, gonna and then win they go the into this vulgar song right it's like i i know you're complaining about the vulgarity but let me <laughs> yeah. tell you how vulgar it is and it'll probably turn change your mind <laughs> Yeah, you go. You just tells them in graphic detail what they're about to listen to, and then they listen. They're like, "Okay, <laughs> right, yeah." It, it, the funny thing is, like, it's not an unrealistic portrayal of a parent's reaction to you know finding out that their kids are listening to this kind of music. That part is not as unrealistic as the kids' reaction to just thinking that they're <laughs> gonna just get into it. <laughs> you know? yeah. And and they also sound very white, and he does not. And I thought that was kind of that had to be done specifically. There had to be some. Well, yeah, I, well, I, I think it's kind of contrast. like they're, well, they're trying to show how, how much of a square is their, the parents are, you know, so that's kind of like Eddie Murphy doing the I'm not going to fall for the banana on the tailpipe. You know, it's kind of that that sort of uh, that's how I interpret it. Anyway. Yeah, I kind of picture her like with her her sweater tied around her shoulders and <laughs> him with like his sweater vest, <laughs> you know, like the Bill Cosby sweater vest and uh just, uh, just all keyed up, you know. It's it yeah, is. It, it, it's funny if you don't hear it for a long time, but you're right, I right? Mean, yeah, and I haven't heard it for a really long time, and I and I think the uh, yeah, just like kids today with all this bullshit. <laughs> it's it's very realistic. I mean, there's that's a very common uh, you know reaction you get from parents about this sort of stuff. So, so for the people that are still listening that uh, <laughs> are not into rap. I'm going to take this kid's uh, cue and maybe I can turn you around with this song. <laughs> yeah, yeah this, this is what will do it. <laughs> this is called Just Give It To Me Raw. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah
straight bang up your head shit with phenomenal swing like the ass on a black check check fat dick to all of y'all niggas with whack clicks Lick. authentic with paper like a classic low budget black flick Lick. last vic that I caught was fucking my last chick Lick. she hit me off nearly made me bust from a plastic are you convinced now <laughs> kids today with all this bullshit um <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's funny because at this point we've completely abandoned the concept album. This is, I mean, oh, yeah. just give it to me raw. This is what it's about, right? I mean, it's there's no nuance in the song. It's exactly what it it says. That there's nothing about the end of the world. It's just um, a graphic song about what Buster Rhymes would like uh, to have happen to him or do to someone else. Um, well, if but if you want to take it as a stretch, you could say, well, you know, we're all going to die anyway, so you might as well give it to me raw. That's about yeah. the closest connection I could make to anything relating to the actual concept of the album. Yeah, they've run out of condoms because it's the end of the world. And I mean, what else are you supposed to do? Oh, but we'll find some condoms in this album later in, in a very interesting way. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I don't know what that stringed instrument is. It sounds like maybe like a Cora. I, I'm not positive, but that definitely is yeah. not like a guitar or or anything like it sounds like somebody tied one string to two pieces of wood and just really tightened it and hit it with a can. <laughs> yeah it's um yeah i have no idea but it's it sounds like something something like that mm-hmm. um it looks like uh sample wise i'm not finding anything for this one either so i don't know this is probably um, my least favorite song on the album it, it's one that i sometimes skip only because that that string sound is kind of obnoxious after a while like if it was just in the intro or here and there but it's it just keeps going and i, I kind of that's one I do get a little bit tired of, I have to say. Yeah. And I, 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 I generally the, I'm pretty desensitized to the, um, at least from this era, the ex- explicit stuff. And of course, 20 years, 20 plus years later, it gets way worse than this. If it was, if it was stuff that was really, um, it like, I guess there's other stuff that could offend me, but like for, for this stuff, I kind of let this stuff fall off me. Not a song I would write, but but yeah, the I, I listen. I tend to listen more to the rhythms and the instrumentation, uh, and I can forgive a lot of other things if if they don't really gel with that. But um, yeah, that's uh, I would I would say it, yeah, it's probably one of my my low points for me on the album. But it's it's not terribly long, and it's it's fine. All I know is whoever was working the uh, yeah button at the top of this of the yeah, song, yeah, yeah, they were yeah, getting yeah, a little crazy yeah. with that. <laughs> well, and you start to hear this for like you, you hear it throughout all of his catalog but a lot of the things where he he dubs in all of these like he repeats the word right after he repeats it or it just goes ha, or ha. yeah you know he just throws these in everywhere and when you start to notice it you start to hear it absolutely everywhere in every song where he'll say you know like uh like venom was fast kid kid and he like th- he throws it in right after the word that he had just said and he he throws in lots of ha ha hoo what you know like all of these kind of reaction he's got like his reactions track that's over the uh the main vocal uh which is kind of an interesting uh you know you it you if you're not paying attention you almost miss it but it's it's it makes it 
the song it makes the songs like a little more frantic and a little more full yeah exactly and there's a lot of background talking in in different songs like different words and things that you hear that really it makes me wonder from the production side how long did this take to record did they sit there and go all right we got to throw in like three or four more things to really thicken this song up what you got <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah how it comes together that they end up at that because that that stuff really feels like it's stuff that they just do on the fly that you really yep. don't think okay we're gonna have like five yas at the beginning and then we're gonna do this it's like we're recording just whatever you feel do it if we need to thicken it up we will i I really feel like a lot of it is just spontaneous yeah oh yeah for sure yeah i think he just he sits there with the on on mic recording and just throws in whatever he's you know whatever he thinks is gonna fit yeah very very he's writing it out okay when i say kid i'm gonna write i'm gonna yell kid after it and i'm gonna go ha when he's when i say this he just just does whatever he's feeling the fans will eat that up (laughs) (laughs) i can't imagine him graphing this all out perfectly like it's gotta be spontaneous see that's why i could never be a a singer even when i could sing like when i had an okay voice i don't have the ability to let loose enough to just throw in sounds and oohs and ahs and and things mm. like that. Like I'm way too uptight for, for doing stuff like that. So I, when I hear somebody who can really just let loose and just whatever they're feeling, just let, let it happen. I really respect that. Cause I can't do that. Yeah. I'm mean, same here. <laughs> uh, so our next song is, uh, okay. Where, Oh, uh, do it to death. So we, we've gone from just give it, give it to me raw to do it to death, which is probably not far off. If you keep doing that. Yeah. It's getting, it's getting more and more graphic. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, everybody, come on. Here we go, buddy, people. Pull up in the whip, pop the trunk. Feel it? Barefoot gorilla baboon funk. You hear it? Me and my nigga Ricky was itchy to meet some women. Met some chickens, they was acting so snobby and bitchy. Fucking pass me the sticky, the chicky wanted to leave me with a kiss. I have no idea what that sound is that they're using for the basis of this song, but I really like it. It's kind of like a, a, a pinging sound, but it's also kind of like a siren. And <laughs> and it's it's pinging back and forth from ear to ear really slowly, which is interesting. But it, it the songs, some of the songs on this album, from a musical standpoint, are so interesting because they're so different from anything mm-hmm. that you would normally hear. But they're also very simple. Yeah, I mean, this is a very. Uh, I'm getting uh, contains a sample. Hawks and Lords prepare for battle from the education of Sonny Carson. So <laughs> another thing, another this stuff. Give you give you lots of. Uh, homework if you wanted to look up all of these things i'm gonna make a, i'm that's what i'm gonna do tomorrow i'm gonna make a uh, spotify playlist of all of these different <laughs> tracks and hear those little where where the genesis of some of these songs comes from but yeah this one's a really interesting one and he's got this he's got this almost like mumbling delivery where he's like very l- laid back like where he's like oodles noodles and all those rules and never reviews and he's just like kind of giving these really like uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's so loose. And again, he's so good at sticking to the rhythm, but delivering it behind the beat in a way that it's, it sounds super laid back and super easy, but it's not, I can can you imagine delivering all these lyrics. It's, it's mind boggling how, how much of it there is and how much material he's had to write for this album. 
Yeah, and and I would think, I mean, there's probably guys in this in this field that are really good at reading off paper in the studio that can read and, and make it happen that fast. But mm-hmm. I, I feel like I would have to have these lyrics so well memorized before I even went into that vocal booth to, to even be remotely comfortable recording. Because recording studio time, especially, you know, in the late 90s, it, it's not cheap. No. Yeah, I mean, he's... He... I'm sure he had a lot of it written out, but it's just this. It's that's another way where the skill comes in, where a lot of this stuff is just he's at this point been doing this for I don't know, 15, 20 years, maybe, um, maybe not quite that long, but uh, so he's he knows what he needs to do. He knows how to and you know he's got to go and perform these songs live and remember yeah. all of these lyrics and deliver them the same with the same way and be on say Saturday Night Live and deliver the clean version when he's used to delivering the other version flawlessly omitting or changing the bad words on the fly. Like that's not easy. Yeah. Um, Now I haven't heard him do anything live. I've heard Eminem do some stuff live and these lyrics are not designed to be performed live. They're designed to sound really good on the record and it is mm -hmm. not possible to to deliver some of this stuff live without either cutting something out, having somebody fill in somewhere to keep the song going. I mean, there's just, you have to be able to breathe. And, you know, the difference with these artists is that they'll still get out there and make the song happen. They're not concerned with dancing around and there's not a lot of lip syncing that goes on because they're not visual performers. They're still delivering the song. They'll find an interesting way to do it, to make it work. But a lot of people will, you know, bash on people like Britney Spears for lip syncing a lot of stuff. But you know what? You can't physically do those dances and no, sing no, especially that when way. you're dancing, forget it. Yeah. Anybody who thinks that that's possible, try it. You know? Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. But she doesn't do concerts. She does shows. She's doing performances. Right. You know, these guys, they're doing shows and they still, this, this is one of the things I love most about them is that they still make the song happen, even though it's kind of an impossible task. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. There'd be a different, you know, Britney Spears is this huge stage show and all these costume changes, all these choreographed dance moves. You know, she, if, if she was truly delivering this, she'd be sitting on a stool with a microphone and, and singing it with barely moving. And uh, that's not what people are paying to see with her. Yeah, exactly. So I, 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 I've never bashed any artist for, for doing that when they're doing that kind of performance, because it's just impossible to do it any other way. Yep. You know, um, so where are we at here? So, okay. So we're going from just give it to me raw to do it to death to now you're keeping it tight, keeping it tight. Don't know how, but somehow you're, you're happy. You're making it happen. <laughs> and here, and here we go again. Not really. Uh, um, the, the theme has com- been completely lost. Oh yeah. I think that we're so into this. We've forgotten that the world is ending. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, but it comes back at the end and, you oh, yeah. know, and, uh, it's just like, like I was talking about with Sergeant, <laughs> I don't, I hesitate to compare this album to Sergeant Pepper, but it's, it's much the same way. You, you, if you sandwich it on both ends with, uh, uh, the theme, you can, you can get away with a lot. This might've been Busta Rhymes, Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, yeah, that's, that might be, it might be more of, yeah, it could be. Hmm. Yeah. Flip mode squad. Oh. Yeah, ain't nothing illa. Wow. I'm got another killer. Yeah. Niggas be gambling, playing CeeLo. What? We be getting money at casinos. Money. Gamble my money like Gambinos. Scarface through like Appuccino. What? Now my pockets got muscles like Lou Ferrigno. Ooh. Cop the hot shit, big up my nigga Primo. Please, Stack me with my nigga Dino and Nino. Julio. Flip and my other nigga Chico. What? 
Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco. Give me five. Count from ten all the way back to zero. Oh, set it off. Rep from here to Puerto Rico. Two. Running the bitches mix. I don't think I ever heard that. Give me five after he counts to five in Spanish. I never oh, noticed yeah, yeah. that until now. That was cool. I love a good Al Pacino reference, especially if it's related to Scarface. So that that's going to win him some points. This is a great song. And and this is another one where he's he's doing a call and response with himself here. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco. Give me five. And he comes in on the other on the other channel. And he's he's doing that throughout this whole song. This is, a, this is like maybe the best ver- example of him doing what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I love the uh, I love the wah uh, or uh, it, that wah guitar that we've got going on here. I yeah. just I love the rhythm of this song. The pacing of it is good. The tempo is good. There's not a lot going on. Again, it's a very simplistic piece of music, and it's really the vocals that that are making it happen. But this song just it, it checks all the boxes for me. And this this features a sample, and I might be getting this pronunciation wrong from Mano de Bongo from the song new bell off of soul Makosa 1972. So I'm, I'm assuming that wah guitar is from that. Mm-hmm. It might just be that one. It might, might be the only thing. And I wonder how they were isolating to get those samples back then, because we really didn't have a lot of isolating tools at the time. No. We're really just starting to get those within the last couple of years. Uh, I wonder yeah. if they were somehow getting a hold of the master recordings and getting the isolated track. I doubt it. I I bet they were just snatching it straight up off the record w- with whatever background it had. Wow. And they they're putting their own beats over it and you know, you, you I I remember playing around with, with beats around this time that this came out and if you looped something even if it was just a straight rip off of a record and and put a beat behind it it it, it seemed to kind of work. You, you didn't notice that it was coming from a from a different recording. Interesting. I mean, could you, be you probably had to be somewhat selective because there's some things that are just so obvious yeah. in the mix. You can't bury them, but yeah, some things probably wouldn't work. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, this song comes with uh, with prizes. It's like a box of Cracker Jacks because we have a, a comedy bit in, yes. in this song. But I have to say, now, we didn't get to the chorus uh, because, as usual, like the first 30 seconds of every song of his is kind of a build into the song. But mm-hmm. uh, the chorus is really good. It's got great vocals in it. It's really, again, that call and response, but to to another level, because now the backing vocals are sounding really thick and, and just as strong as the lead vocals. It's just got a great feel, but it, it keeps this pace and that guitar all the way through it. Yep. Yeah, But yet, it, I don't understand, Nate, why I don't find these songs boring after we get to the halfway point, because they don't change a lot. Well, it's because I think... In a in a rock song, you'd have repetition in in the verse follows a specific structure, the chorus follows. But in in hip hop, or at least this style of hip hop, you don't get that. There might be a a quote chorus section, but the verses are all just very sporadic, and rhythms are changing all over the place. So you almost have to be repetitive like that because if the music was changing and going wild and having all these different parts, you wouldn't be able to do explore as much as they're exploring with the vocals. That's a really good point. Yeah, that makes sense. I hadn't thought about that. Plus, I mean, the way that each verse is delivered, it's done differently. So it kind of makes it, you know, it's the verses don't get stale because mm-hmm. of that, too. You know, you write one line with a couple of extra words and it changes the whole rhythm of it. Yep. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, let's see what uh, what Busta has planned for us here in this song. That's how we do it. Yeah, that's how we do it. Yeah. Hey, how you doing, baby girl? I noticed you from 
across the way, and uh, I think me and you should get to talking. Whatever. So if you're not doing nothing later on the night, maybe uh, you can come to my place. And? Baby girl, you know how much money I got? Oprah does my laundry. So what? Michael Jordan cuts my grass. Big deal. You know how frivolous I am? I drive a Hummer to the end of my driveway just to get the mail, and that's all I use it for. That ain't nothing. I got six stockbrokers. 14 doctors, two lawyers, 17 accountants, and eight other lawyers to watch the first two lawyers. So God, get out of my face. And I got custom-made condoms that's made out of other people's dicks. Wow, really? And shit, when I'm too tired to get my socks blown, I hire someone else to fuck for me. Obviously, you mistaken me for someone that gives a shit. You know how rich I am? You know how much credit I got? I threw away all my platinum cards, and I got a uranium card. Uh, loser. Bitch. I drive a Rolls Royce pickup truck. <laughs> Again, it keeps going. It does. Uh, that sounds like every girl I ever hit on. Um, <laughs> well, if you were using those lines, <laughs> you'd think that they would work. Uh, and to me, it always sounded really obvious to me that they told a guy, hey, just ad lib and say a bunch of like great things. And then they told a woman, hey, just keep saying lines that you're not impressed with the guy. And then they stitch it all together after that because it doesn't flow at all. Right. It's just, you know, all of her reactions are just like she was improvising and he was improvising. They probably never even met or were in the studio together. It, it does feel very natural. Uh, I'll say that. Um, I, I love how he sounds so confident just spitting this crap. You know, like, like yeah, she's love, really going to believe like, this. You know how frivolous I am. <laughs> yeah. That's such a great line. <laughs> and then there's a, one point where he sounded like he hit puberty, where his voice cracked a little bit. I'm like, that's kind of, that, that was funny. I mean, normally like you would redo that part. You would just say, all right, say that line again. But no, they left it in there. And, and I really like that. But my favorite part was that the, like, she only gets excited when he talks about having custom-made condoms made from other people's dicks. And she's like, really? i like, who would want that? Why would you think that that's a selling point for anything? <laughs> no, it sounds like this sounds like a, a poor design. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, it's cool. I like the, the sound, the background sound, too, because it really sounds like they're at a bar and there's like pool or something being played in the right. background. And yep. it, 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 the environment uh sound is is very very realistic uh Mm -hmm. i think it's done done very well but again it's like okay it's really funny the first time it's kind of funny the second time third time you're going "Eh, yeah okay oh yeah that's right the third time you're like i just want to hear the next song (laughs) yeah and then by the fourth time you're like all right (laughs) i'm done you know but to me the the first time i heard this i had heard this next the next track which is give me some more um to me it was like wait so at the end of the skit he you know she says if you want any of this, you're going to have to give me some more. And he goes, there ain't no more. Is there? And then it trails off. And then it goes into the song. Give me some more. But I was like, wait, that's not what give me some more is about. Like, so <laughs> they kind of made this like skit to explain a song, but it's not really about that. So it was, it was a little weird to be the first time I heard it. But, yeah. It, cause it, it, probably because I'd heard the song 300 times before I got the, got the album. So maybe that was why. Yeah. It, it is a very odd lead. And I'll, I'll say, I get where they're going with it, but it's kind of like, yeah, it doesn't really work, but okay. You know. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this seems like a great place to split the episode. We're about an hour and a half in. We got another hour to go. It's a really lengthy album, 19 songs, and we've got a lot to say about them. I'd like to thank uh, Nate for coming on the show. I'm really enjoying having this conversation with him. Uh, From the moment I saw he marked this on the list, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be fun. And it is. So while uh, while we're waiting, this this, uh, episode will continue in a few weeks. Got some other episodes in between. Great stuff coming up. And also check out the Deep Purple Podcast. 
you can go to the link in the show notes or you can just Google Deep Purple Podcast. There's only one. It's available everywhere that this podcast is and probably some more space. Have a great week, guys. We'll see you soon with another episode. Cheers. Cheers.